Hey guys, welcome back to the Niflos Habore podcast. This is Dr. Ari Grubner. Stay tuned. We will talk about the most exciting, most intricate organ of the entire human body, the human brain. This is the first episode of a mini-series, really, of a bunch of episodes talking about the human brain, including a bunch of really exciting interviews with people whose life focus on the human brain, experts on the human brain. This is part one of that series. Stay with us. Doctor, doctor, the nurse says to you in the emergency room. There's a 78-year-old woman in room 33. She just came in. She says that about an hour ago, she noticed the left side of her face drooping. Her husband noticed it too. Well, you think to yourself, should probably go check this out right away. Hello, ma'am. I'm the doctor here in the emergency room. What's been going on? Well, um, I was just having dinner with my husband. She continues talking. You notice her speech is a little bit jumbled, garbled. It's got a funny ring to it. I was just having dinner with my husband about an hour ago when we were having soup and, and my husband noticed it. I was drooling. I was dripping some of the soup out of the left side of my mouth. I almost couldn't keep it keep it in there. I, I just don't know. You glance up at her. The left side of her mouth is indeed drooping downwards. She tells you more of her story, but you already have an answer in your head. You examine her, ask her to do a whole bunch of funny things like smile and wiggle her tongue and close her eyes real tight. Then you decide it's time to break the news to her. Ma'am, I'm worried. I'm worried something's going on with your brain. I'm worried there may be a clot. I'm worried this could be a stroke. Doctor, are you out of your mind? I told you something's wrong with my mouth. It has to do with my soup. I can't drink soup. What are you talking about? You go on to tell her that it is her brain, and you know exactly which part of her brain as well. Doctor, can I see your supervisor? You have no clue what you're talking about. How can you know which part of my brain without even seeing any imaging or anything? And also, this has nothing to do with my brain. Like I told you, I'm having trouble with my mouth. It's the left side of my mouth. You walk out of her room. You urgently call the stroke team. In your head, you pray that she'll be okay. Well, folks, this is it. It is time. I think it's finally time to talk about the brain. The chief. The captain. The pilot. Truthfully, the analogies can go on and on and on. We can really go on forever. You know how I like to do analogies for each system that we talked about? So, I mean, the brain is, is the coach of the team. It's the puppeteer. What is a puppeteer anyway? I think it's the guy who holds the strings to control the puppets in a puppet show. 
I really need like a real-time fact checker guy who can just Google stuff for me as I'm talking. Anyway, the point is we're talking about the brain. It's time to finally tackle it. We're going to cover a lot of ground. We're really going to try to get a deep, deep understanding. And as I mentioned, we're going to have some really fascinating, amazing interviews here to talk to people who have a real good grasp of the brain and the neurological system, the nervous system, as we call it. But I think we'll just start with the basics here. The simple, simple basics. So let's take a moment. Look at the body. Close the textbooks. Get rid of Google. We don't need to have a deep understanding of anything. Let's just take a look at the human body. This is something we could have done 5,000 years ago, hundreds of years ago, thousands of years ago. We could do this now and we could do it then. We don't need to have any grasp of anything. Let's just look at the human body. All we need are eyes and a belief in a creator. Is the brain important? Take a look at the human body. When the creator of all things created the human body, the brain was encased in bone. It's literally in a box. I mean, it's a fascinating thing. We can just look at the body and and understand immediately that God who created this body really, really ascribed a lot of importance to this organ. Now, we don't even know what it does yet. We haven't even gotten there. We're literally just looking at the body and saying, hey, whatever is up there, It seems important. It's in a a thick, thick skull, completely surrounded in a box. Okay, probably is pretty important. And I I think this is a fascinating thing in general, is we can really look at the body and, and figure out, in a way, which organs are important and which ones are not as important. Do you think your fingernail is vital to your survival? I'm saying this as a joke, but I mean it seriously. Imagine we had no clue what was important, what was not. We we literally, you know, were living in caves. And we're trying to figure out which organs are important and which ones are not. We can figure it out. Your fingernail doesn't seem like the designer of the human body felt like it was that important. It's completely exposed. Things could happen to it. Brain, totally encased, closed in. We'll talk about the spinal cord in a minute. Totally enclosed, cased in. Heart, lungs, are those important? They're in a cage. You ever stop and think about that? The rib cage, they're literally in a cage. Pretty cool stuff. The things that are less important, fingers, toes, yeah, of course we need those. Those are helpful for our lives, but they're not vital organs. Now the brain, whatever that thing is, this brain which is totally closed off, attached to the brain is a, is a cord, a few feet long, a spongy cord which runs down our backs, and that's called the spinal cord. Is this thing important? Can we throw it away? I mean, the brain, yeah, we get it. It's important. But is this thing important? Amazing thing is Hashem designed this this spine. You know how like when you bend down, there's those little pointy bones sticking out in the back, in our backs? That's the spine, or we'd call it the spinal column, really. And it's a bunch of bones, literally with holes. Like the bones have a hole through them for this spinal cord to run through. It's an amazing thing. Google it if you want to see it. Google vertebrae. Each one of those bones is called a vertebrae. And there's a hole in the middle of that bone so that the spinal cord can slip right through all of those and it's completely encased, enclosed in these bones. So yes, the spinal cord is important too. The spinal cord is the connection between the brain and the rest of our body. We'll talk more about that. But what's super fascinating is the spinal cord 
it's this cord running down. It's connected to the back of the brain and it's running down our backs. And really, Hashem could have created just a, a strong tube, a bony tube, like a, like a paper towel roll type of a thing on, in our backs with the spinal cord running through it. And that would have been good protection, right? But the thing is, think about it. Would we have been able to bend forward or bend to our sides or, or move around? You can't really do that with a rock-solid, straight tube of bone. And the engineering here is, is fascinating. It's, it's mind-boggling. The engineering in this system, in this bony column, is what Hashem did is He took a bunch of little little bones, as I said, these vertebrae, and piled them one on top of the other, one on top of the other, one on top of the other. Each one of these bones has a hole in the center so the spinal cord could run through it. But by having multiple bones instead of one long tube, what that does is it allows us to bend in all directions. It gives us the protection of the spinal cord. It protects the spinal cord. But it allows us to bend forward from side to side to lean back. Because by having multiple different bones, it gives us that flexibility. It's really amazing. You should really look at a picture of it. And one last thing that's that's incredible is that in between each one of these bones, there's a little layer of like this jelly-like substance. And what that does is, is it's a shock absorber. So that when I jump off of my stairs, I jump two feet or I jump in the air to catch a baseball or something and then I land all those bones don't come crashing into each other and crack each other. Between each one of those bones is a layer of really like a shock absorber of like a jelly-like substance, which allows this incredible, incredible... I mean, the engineering here is just mind-boggling. So yes, brain is important. Spinal cord, important. Now, let's talk about what the brain does. The first thing I want to talk about is the, one of the roles of the brain is the brain is the motor center. Our bodies are, are motors. We, we do actions. We move, right? Everything moves. Our fingers, our toes, our knees. We can bend stuff. We can move all around. Every single movement that we make is a muscle contracting. It's a muscle getting smaller. So when I move my, my pointer finger, it's a, it's a series of muscles that are getting smaller and contracting and allowing that finger to bend. When I move my elbow joint, when I walk... Every single time something moves, the human body makes a move. By definition, it means there is a muscle contracting, meaning a muscle is getting smaller and allowing that movement to take place. The brain is, like I said, we can talk about different analogies for the brain. It's the chief, it's the coach, it's the, you know running the whole show. It's controlling everything. But I think for this purpose, to really understand the brain in how it controls movement of, of our bodies... And to also try to get an understanding of what goes wrong when people have movement disorders and get sick. I think the best muscle is going to be an alarm clock. I don't know if it's as common. Do people still use alarm clocks? I still have an alarm clock. Even though I have a phone, everyone uses phones now. I still have like an old school, you know, digital alarm clock next to my bed plugged into the wall. Maybe I'm old school in that way. I don't know. But picture it, right? digital alarm clock next to your bed with a time and you set your alarm and it plugs into the wall and you know the old school buzzer anyway um so imagine one day you know you have to wake up really early for school or for work or whatever it is and all of a sudden you wake up and you're like oh i'm so well rested that was great all right you look up and your alarm clock is off there's no numbers showing 
you pick up your phone, it's 10.30, you slept in, you missed everything. Oh my goodness, like, how are you going to pull this day off? You're already four hours late to work and you have to take your kids and, you know. So what went wrong? Why is your alarm clock off? You could think of it in three ways. Is the alarm clock itself broken? Is that why there's no numbers showing up on that screen? Is that why, you know, it didn't buzz this morning when you wanted it to? Is there something wrong with the plug? Maybe someone snapped the plug or something and there's no longer a connection between the alarm clock and the wall and the outlet. Or finally, alarm clock may be fine. The plug, you know, the wire that's running down plugged into the wall might be fine, but maybe there's a, an outage, a power outage or a blackout and the plug, the plug is plugged in. The clock is plugged in, but if you're not getting a power source, the clock won't work. The brain, the brain, folks, the brain is the power source. The brain is providing power to the entire body in order for the body to move, to do all those things we do, like our daily routines. When I want to move my finger, I want to type on my phone. I want to send a text to someone. I need my thumbs to move up and down in a certain direction. Now, we just do it. We don't even think about it. It's not like a two-step process for us where I need to register it in my brain, move thumb, and then my thumb moves. We just do it. But what's really going on, if you were to break it down, is that a part of the brain which controls movement, and specifically the part of the brain which controls movement of my left thumb, has to create a signal. It's literally an electric signal. I know this sounds crazy, and we talked about this a little bit with the heart, but it's literally electricity in the brain. The brain is a ball of neurons, of cells, it creates this like electric burst in that exact spot which controls the thumb. It sends the electric burst down the spinal cord, down my back, down these nerves, which are these like offshoots from the spinal cord, down to the muscle in my thumb, tells that muscle to get smaller, to contract, boom. My thumb then moves down and types the letter H so that I can say hi to my friend to send a pointless text to just say hi to waste his time. But that's really how it works. That's literally how it works. And when you start thinking about complex movements, like think about someone playing the piano where they have to move both fingers on both hands at an exact rhythm at an exact time and and play the piano and think about what's going on in their brain every second that that's going on is that there's a specific part of the brain which controls each and every movement. Now, this is kind of what I was talking about in that example at the beginning with the lady whose mouth is drooping. Doctors can figure this out by seeing which part of the body is not working, which part of the body can't move. Is it the mouth? Is it the eye drooping? Is it the left arm? Is it the right leg? You can, you can figure it out and say, oh, I know exactly which part of the brain had a stroke. I know exactly which part of the brain is having an issue. Because we in 2020, it's fascinating, but we have actually mapped out which parts of the brain control which parts of the body. We've mapped it out and we know exactly where it is. So that when someone gets a stroke, God forbid, when someone has a stroke, we almost immediately know what is going to be affected. It works both ways. Is If we see a stroke on, on a CT scan and we see which part of the brain is affected, we can figure out which part of the person's body is going to have an issue, or the opposite, like in the example in the emergency room, where the lady comes in and she can't move her left arm or her leg or her mouth is drooping or her eye is drooping, we can trace it back to her brain and figure out which part of the brain is having an issue. 
It's really amazing. Now, similar to the example of the alarm clock, where when the alarm clock is off in the morning, it could be the alarm clock itself is broken. It could be the cord, the, the wire is broken, or it could be the power source is out. It's also true in the human being. You know, if someone comes in, they can't move their left arm. It's possible something's wrong with their arm. It's possible something's wrong with the nerve running through their arm, connecting it up to the spinal cord, up to the brain. That's kind of like the wire in the example. And it's possible something's wrong with the power source itself, with the brain itself. All three of those are possibilities. But the most devastating and the most important one to think about is the brain. So immediately we're going to try to think about, is this person having a stroke? Meaning, is this person having an issue with their brain itself? One last point to talk about is that the brain, when we talk about the motor component, and again, this is just one component of what the brain does. We'll get to the others. But when we talk about the motor component of the brain, and when we say motor component, we really mean the movement component of the brain. And when we say movement, we really mean the brain controlling the muscles of the body. Now, another thing to think about is that it's not just our voluntary muscles, like move my hand, move my arm, you know, walk, move this leg, you know, all that stuff. The brain also controls our inner organs because, let's say, the heart. The heart needs to keep beating, right? Bum, 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 bum. It needs to keep pumping blood. We talked about the heart at length in previous podcasts. Now, the heart itself is muscle. And the way that the heart pumps is by contracting. The same way when I want to move my finger, I need those muscles to contract. And the brain needs to send a signal and tell it to contract. The exact same way, the brain needs to send a signal to the heart and tell the heart to contract so that it can keep pumping blood. And the same way the brain needs to send a signal to the, to the diaphragm and the muscles around the lungs to tell the body to keep breathing. Now, I could control my breathing, but I need the brain to keep telling it to breathe and telling it to breathe. So it's a pretty amazing thing that we don't even think about, which is that the brain, not only is it the voluntary part of our, of our system where we can the brain can tell different parts of our body to move, but the brain is constantly telling our inner organs to keep working, our blood vessels to keep working, all of those things that we don't even think about. That is called, in medical terms, we call that the autonomic nervous system. It means it's autonomic, but it's really probably interchangeable with the word automatic. And what it means is that those are the things our, brains, our brain is constantly telling to work behind the scenes, telling our heart, pump, 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 to keep pumping. Now, like we always talk about, you know, this is fantastic and fascinating how all this works. It's, it's, it's just amazing. I mean, we should give thanks to Hashem every day for this. Zokif Kefufim. We could think about it when we say that bracha of, of Zokif Kefufim. Straightening out those who are bent, thinking about our spinal cord and how it connects to our brain. But just to have really appreciate it, we can think about what happens when things go wrong in terms of the motor part of the brain, the movement part of the brain, controlling the movements. When you see people who, Rahman al-Islam, God forbid, had a, had a stroke, for them, they lose part of those connections. The connection becomes weak between the brain, the spinal cord, the nerves, down to the, to the muscle that they want to move. And you see people like that. It's sad to see, but they, they literally need to relearn how to walk, if they're even able to. Now, sometimes people completely lose movement. You know, there's such thing as paraplegic, which is damage to the spinal cord or to the brain where there's complete loss of movement. But 
even when someone has a stroke, let's say, and they're recovering and they're going through physical therapy, they're relearning how to do all these things, they lose that spontaneous ability to do it in a split second. And what happens is it becomes like a two-step process where they literally, you see them, they need to concentrate. And, and if you've ever seen, you know, it's a sad to see, but elderly people, when they, after they have a, had a stroke, they literally need to concentrate and their brain has to first come up with this command, like move my foot. And you'll see them look down at their foot and concentrate and then a little bit of movement. And, and they still have that connection. They're still able to move their foot, but it's like a delayed connection. It's, it's they have to retrain themselves. It's almost similar to a baby. When you see a one-year-old baby learning how to walk, or, you know, a little baby, it's kind of the same thing. The connection is not as strong. It's not like me and you and I when we just jump out of bed and we don't have to. It's, a, it's, it's like a one-step process. But in newborn babies and little babies, it's, it's a two-step process. It's almost like I need to walk now. They think about it and then they try to almost like tell their foot to move and then their foot moves. So it's something to appreciate when we're able to do that without even thinking about it. Our brains just like the connection is so strong in such a split second that the brain generates this impulse to move my foot and it moves. And all of that is like in a split second. One other thing to talk about, I I mentioned how the brain also sends these impulses. There's an area of the brain which controls the heart and tells the heart to keep beating. And again, in 2020, we have it mapped out. We know exactly which part of the brain is controlling the heart. We know exactly which part of the brain is controlling our lips and our tongue for speech as well, when you think about that. And this is the reason, sorry, I'm going on a little bit of a tangent. I want to get back to the heart in a second. But this is the reason why, unfortunately, when people have strokes, they often have to relearn how to talk or they lose their ability to talk. Because if the stroke affected that area of the brain, which is the the speech component, the speech part of the brain, and my wife can tell you more about this because she's a speech therapist, but if the stroke affected the speech area of the brain, then the person can lose the ability to talk. They may understand what you're saying. They can listen and comprehend because the comprehension part of the brain may still work. But if, if it's the case where the speech area is affected meaning the motor area, the movement of the lips and the tongue are affected, they may not be able to talk or they'll talk in a very garbled, funny way or they'll have to relearn how to talk. That's the reason why, is because there's a specific area of the brain which controls talking. And again, Hodu Lashem Kitov, when you think about speech, again, my wife can tell you more about this, but I, I learned a lot of this from her. When you think about speech, think about... Uh, B, M. Think about making the B sound and the M sound. And think about the position that your lips are in. B, M. <laughs> it's kind of funny doing that on recording. But your lips are literally in the exact same position. Your tongue is basically in the exact same position. It's so subtle. The difference is so subtle between some different sounds that we make. And the fact that our brain is able to register and, and, and tell our lips to make a B sound instead of making an M sound it's like so close. You know, there's so many sounds which are so similar to each other. And the way that our brain can fire in a certain way to tell these muscles to move, but not these muscles. It's so intricate and so deep. It's really amazing. Now, getting back to the heart, the brain controls the heart. The heart is a muscle. The brain is telling the heart pump, 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 pump. We have seen people. I had a patient recently in the hospital 
very sad. A kid who was in a car crash, had severe brain trauma, TBI, like traumatic brain injury. And a lot of, a lot of issues. Very, very sad. But uh, one of the issues this kid had, besides, you know, not being able to move arms and legs, because if those areas of the brain were affected, then of course that's going to be an issue. But this kid, the heart, this kid's heart rate would like drop down into the 30s or 40s, which is very, very low, very low heart rate. And it's very concerning. Now, why was that going on? This kid's heart wasn't injured when this kid was in, a, was in the car crash. But sadly, what happened was the brain was injured and the area of the brain that actually controls the heart was injured. So that brain, the power source, which is controlling the heart, if that's injured, even if the heart is perfectly fine, this is a young kid with a good heart, you know, and no issues, no heart attacks, nothing. But if the power source is an issue, then the heart itself is not going to be stable. It's not going to be like a regular person. It's very sad to see. So this is just one component. We're going to touch on other components of the heart. We're going to interview people of the brain. Sorry. We're going to interview people who are experts on the brain. And we're really going to dive deep in. This is amazing. I'm so excited to be talking about this. Thank you for joining me. Hey, thanks so much for joining us today on the Niflos Habore podcast. This was part one of the mini-series called The Captain, delving deep into the brain, the nervous system, the spinal cord. Very, very exciting. We have multiple, multiple parts here with very exciting interviews. Stay with us. Join us next time on the Niflos Habore podcast. This is Dr. Ari Gribner. Thanks so much. Stay tuned. Stay tuned.